And um, whatever happens in my career, like it's on me, innit? I've got to do the right things. My coach can tell me what to do, but I've got to go out there and do it. But he's given me good advice. I trust his guidance and I'm happy where I'm at. And uh, if he takes me back on after this fight, I'll be back out in Texas training. So yeah, I think I'm, I found a new home potentially. Remember, a lot of these people ain't my mates. So I don't really get involved in the banter and conversation with them. I just kind of keep it moving. It's like, because the camera's in my face, it don't mean it's a green card to start acting out of character and start acting a certain way. I just chilled. I'm proper chilled. I'm obviously different outside of, outside of the cameras in my face and with the lads and with my family, but I'm not going to debate with someone about my career who has no real understanding of where I'm trying to go or what I'm trying to do. No, but it just hasn't happened. Um, but it will. I believe it will. And when I said I feel like he needs me is because uh, the other fight fell through and there's probably a demand for who's next, like people saying who's next. And I think, I think I'm a good candidate, you know what I mean? So I think this is a good time to kind of put that pressure on. But that's where my mind is at. People are sure Franklin's thinking about, I want to become heavyweight champion of the world. If I can be famous and I'm going to so I'm thinking, if I get through this guy, he's dangled a carrot in front of me. When AJ Box Alexander Usain, the split was already determined by the order of the military. It was 25%. He didn't have a belt. He was just a challenger in the heavyweight division. AJ took it on the chin because he wanted to be undisputed. He said, okay, fine, 75-25. He beat AJ twice, he unified the division. And Fury just offered him an extra 5%. The biggest payday of Alexander Usyk's career so far is bigger. And whew, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport. No, no award shows needed, no rankings needed, no polls needed. You, the fans, have already decided that a long time ago, and I appreciate that. But this is quite simply the number one podcast in the sport where we are three sleeps away from finding out if Joshua rises or falls. That's as stark as this gets right now. We find out very quickly whether Anthony Joshua rises and falls, and... Who would have thought five, six years ago that Jermaine Franklin would be the determining fight of Anthony Joshua's legacy? Like, seriously, who would have thought that? So let's just frame this for context. You know, just let's start big picture here. April 2017, Anthony Joshua is boxing Vladimir Klitschko in front of 90,000 people at Wembley to unify, I think it's the IBF and the WBA. Biggest fight we've seen in this country, right? I think it's Eddie Hearn's second greatest event. Obviously, I think Brooke Golovkin is his number one, and I've given the reasons for that many times. But this is Eddie's second greatest event, and when you, do, when you induct Eddie Hearn into the Hall of Fame, these are the moments you kind of say, mate, this is where you did well. This is where, this is where you needed to be Eddie Hearn, and here's where you made the impossible happen, so I take my hat off to him. So April, I think it was April 27th, 2017, Incredible night, incredible moment. That same month, Jermaine Franklin is boxing on a Derek Finley show in Gary, Indiana. Against no one we've ever heard of. No one on that card is a person we've ever heard of. He is in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana is only famous for being the home of the Jackson Five. That is it. 
What else is Indiana famous for? Is it Notre Dame? I think like South Bend is in Indiana as well. But that lets you know how far one man has had to rise and one man has had to fall for them to meet in the middle at this point in time. Because if you had said to Anthony Joshua in 2017, a few years from now you're going to fight this guy called Jermaine Franklin who no one's really heard of. He's done his route of kind of fighting the American journeyman, the gatekeepers, and he's kind of got himself in position through losing to Dillian. And Joshua would have said, that's not a fight I'm interested in. It will never be a fight I'm interested in. Yet here we are. And as much as they try and sell Jermaine Franklin as being this credible threat, much like Povetkin, much like Parker, much like Brazil, these are all manufactured in the minds of promoters to convince the fans that these are credible threats, but they're not. Jermaine Franklin would be an okay sparring partner for Prime Anthony Joshua. It's a simple fact. He would be. You know, he's probably a little level above uh, a Timothy Moten, but I think he's a guy that Brian Jennings would beat. But here we are. And so as we've entered fight week, fight week has been very, very different. Because you can't have the arrogance of old. You know, how many years did we endure AJ fight weeks where he held all the cards? He held all the cards. He had, he had most of the belts. And so he could say what he wanted. And he often did. We saw his version of a Penrose triangle in the Middle East. We've, we've seen him get irritated in the States about the Wilder fight not happening. All of these things have happened to him when he was in the ascendancy and now that we've seen him lose for the third time the third time that's all gone in this week and that's all gone because paradoxically the man who fought in Gary Indiana in 2017 holds the key to the Anthony Joshua fortune Jermaine Franklin is the all or nothing moment for Anthony Joshua and I say all or nothing because if this goes to points, British fans would be like, you sold us a pup here, mate. The only acceptable option is a devastating knockout. Not the Brazil knockout where the referee was like, I'm just going to stop it because it makes AJ look good. Not the Carlos Takam knockout stoppage where you know, the referee had to almost give Takam a DDT. None of that. We need to see... We need to see a decisive conclusion to this. And I don't know if, if that's going to happen or not. But this fight week's been very, very... It's been, it's been strange. So what are the high-pressure headlines in this week? High-pressure headlines, do or die for Joshua. I mean, chance at the big time for Franklin. You know, Eddie's thrown in. If Joshua wins this and looks impressive, we want the Fury fight. Joshua said... I'll fight whoever's next, right? These are kind of the, the subplots. And there's still the Conor Ben thing bubbling in the background. That's where we are as boxing fans this week. And we're like, are we going to get clarity on these things? The answer doesn't seem to be. But there's a different energy. I think, I think Hearn's been wounded by the Conor Ben thing because it won't go away. If you remember, they were able to put the Dillian White thing to bed quick enough because they could recruit enough of Matchroom FC to, to flood the internet. And when the Dillian White thing happened, if you remember, we hadn't had the discussion we have. And I just want to say this, and I haven't been able to say it, and hopefully you guys understand what I'm saying here. Without Larry, 
I don't believe boxing fans are in the position they are in about doping. I think Larry's been an important guy in kicking that door open. And we should all pay homage to, to Larry because we wouldn't have that on-the-ground knowledge if it hadn't been for Larry. And people can say, yeah, but he was a cheat too. The message is the message. Don't shoot the messenger. And I think what's happened now, and this is something Eddie hadn't factored in, because when you look at outlets like mine, when you look at pitch boxing, when you look at all the people who were kind of on this, you can call them two bob operations as much as you want. But I can tell you this now. In a week like this, I know I'm going to hit 50,000 unique users. Right? This month, I will hit 50,000 unique users. That's crazy. So this idea that we're nobodies, we're in our mum's basement, okay, fine. But we've been at the heart of people now saying, we ain't buying it, Connor. We're not buying the spin. We're not buying the hype. Take your ban. We understand that boxers dope. It's a game. You lost. Take your ban. I think that's hurt Eddie Hearn. And for him to switch to from where he was last week in full survival mode to this week trying to be bombastic, it hasn't really come off. And because of that, you've now got Anthony Joshua being a bit more circumspect. Weary? A little bit. I genuinely don't think he's recovered from that second loss to Usyk. That outburst, which I might have to retweet and recycle again. That outburst pointed at something far deeper. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's living with a secret. I can't say one way or the other. Is he living with a secret that he just wants to get out? Excuse me. Is he frustrated that he can't be himself? Whoever and whatever that is. Are these the issues that plague Anthony Joshua? It's not boxing. Because what we know with Anthony Joshua is regardless of the situation, he's going to keep fighting. He'll keep swinging. He'll keep having a go. I genuinely think he loves boxing. I don't know if he loves everything else that comes with it. I, I think he just wanted to be a Watford world champion. A guy who could just hang out in his area with his people and people who trust him and people he trusts and people he respects. I think that's what he wanted. So this week has just been a lot of him almost not caring. Like I'm just going to say what I want to say, which is... It's, it's refreshing, but I guess it's not the, the bombast we thought it would be from Anthony Joshua. Because if you remember, in his early incarnation, he was the rough, tough kid from Watford, who we thought had done a bit. And then Dillian White sort of chipped away at that and reminded him, you know, he's just a big guy from Watford. And then we've obviously found out, you know, maybe his criminal past and record aren't what people are telling us. Maybe he just got caught doing something stupid, okay? which happens to a lot of people a lot of times. So that tough guy identity is gone. Big Femi's done. So this new guy seems to be the the kid who was probably okay at school. I think they said his old man sent him to school in Africa. So he's reasonably well educated. If you listen to him talk, he juggles between various accents. If you know what you're listening for, you can hear it. So there's bits there that say, now nah, this guy was taught to say certain words properly because... He like the way he says his O's and so on and so forth, you can tell. And so there's, there's been this masking of who Joshua really is. I think we're seeing a bit more of who he is, and it's kind of not earth-shattering. He's just a good, solid guy. He's a good, solid guy, a guy you could have a beer with. In another lifetime, he's probably got a couple of kids, um, drives a, I don't know, a Mitsubishi L200 Warrior, you know, does a bit of scaffolding. 
but twist the fate, cosmic accident, whatever you want to call it, this guy is one of the best heavyweight boxers on the planet, one of the wealthiest boxers on the planet. And that comes with its pressures, people like me talking about you, having an opinion on you, not really knowing you. And you can see in this, in this one, he's not trying to please sponsors, he's not trying to please anyone. His attitude is just, it is what it is. Is that a good thing for him? I don't know. We're going to find out on Saturday. But what I will say is if this is the tone going forward, he's not the commercial draw. Because all of a sudden we realize Josh is just a sensible kid who just happens to be six foot six and can crack a bit. And I don't know if that's what boxing fans want in the heavyweight champion. Because it took Lennox Lewis a long time to be loved and respected. And Lennox was pretty straight down the middle. It took him a long time because fans are in love with the guys like Tyson and Fury. Because Mike Tyson bit someone's ear off. Do you know what I mean? Fury showed up to a press conference dressed as Batman. Fans love that. No idea why, but they do. So where's his head at? I can hear the things I can tell you. Based on what happened in camp, his head's in a good place. Um, camp was hard, that's what I'm hearing. Hard, brutal, and a massive culture shift. And I think the big difference from, from this, the things I pick up, here we like to overcomplicate things. So if you look at British trainers, do you ever when Adam Booth is doing that double pad routine? And you're like, we love to overcomplicate stuff because in Britain we think the more complicated something is, the better it is. Right? That's why there are a lot of boxing trainers who've made careers just being padmen on Instagram. Yeah. And no one ever interrogates their record, but when they get on the circuit, amateur or pro, their fighters get crushed. So we overcomplicate things. We have people doing um, trap bar, deadlift jumps, squat jumps, all this sort of stuff that we think is super duper clever, right? And we overcomplicate boxing here. In America, they don't. So from what I understand, it's been as simple as skipping, road work, groundwork, bags, calisthenics, uh, sparring bit of pad work to work on certain ideas just really simple training unsexy unglamorous stuff and Joshua's done it now in the past he's missed sessions no one talks about this but he was known to miss sessions if he didn't feel like it which for me as an outsider looking that always worries me but here he hasn't he's immersed himself in the culture and apparently it's been good to have guys like Errol Spence Frank Martin Charlotte all these guys coming in because it shows where the standard is. And so they say Josh has done some of his best work. Now, does that mean that he's a world beater? I don't know. We'll find out Saturday. But the noises coming out there are pretty positive. Um, in terms of Franklin, equally hearing good things that came out of his camp as well. He's, they, so these guys have both put the work in because, like I said, it's, it's, this is a pivotal fight for both of them for different reasons, but no less meaningful for either. So that brings us to Saturday. So what people want to know is, what does this mean for what we're going to see in the ring? Uh, my guess is you might see a Jermaine Franklin in the 237 to 241 range. So that will be a stone lighter than he was for Dillian. Maybe even a little bit less. But I think around about that range is probably good for him. Like what I would have called a prime Chisora weight. 
um, contrast that with Fraser Clark coming in at 271 pounds. Like, geez, you know, you're supposed to be professional. And then what do we see Joshua coming in at? 248, 249? Um, all that kind of coming in in the 230s like he did against Usyk, I don't think it works for him. Like, I think he'll take a better shot as a heavier guy, and he's going to have to take some shots here. And so we'll see how that goes because we still don't know to what extent he can implement a, a Derek James plan. Whether Derek James actually needs him to, to box like his other fighters do or whether he will just make tweaks to who Joshua currently is. It may just be the case Joshua needed to be somewhere where he just worked hard because he already knows how to box. You're not going to throw everything McCracken et al. have done out the door. That doesn't make any sense. So you just want to make incremental tweaks fix little things do you need to increase the punch velocity do you need to increase the the torque on the shots does he need to bring his elbows a little bit higher it's small tweaks that can have an outsized effect over 12 rounds in a fight so that's going to be interesting to see what style he implements but if we just go on joshua being the best version that we can expect based on what we've seen before he's always going to have the straight shot advantage his left hook is pretty pretty heavy and pretty devastating. It's a that's a fight changing punch. Still a bit wild with his uppercuts. So if if all of this changes, then my views will change during the fight. But I still maintain that he will be vulnerable to a counter puncher. If Jermaine Franklin is the counter puncher he claims to be, then Joshua is vulnerable because I always look at someone like AJ and go, okay. How would you get on against a counterpunching guy like a Holyfield? And Holyfield was a counterpunch. I know people don't want to believe that, but he could. He could. His counter left hook was kind of what swung fights in his favor, and also the the nasty head work. But if yeah, if Franklin's timing's in tune, I think the counters could be there for him. Because remember, Joshua's not the guy he was six seven years ago. He's getting older. Those joints are weary. You know, the fatigue catches up with you. You'll slow down a bit. If he can get the counters in, I'd be looking for, for right uppercuts from the outside coming in. I'm looking for left uppercuts up the middle. And then you want to be trying to hit that temple because you know that knocks him senses. So if you can come with, the, with an inside left uppercut and then bring that right hand over the top, hit the temple, that's probably the, the, that's the shot you're really looking for. But how you get to that point, lots of right hooks to the body. Josh doesn't like body shots. I'd be letting those kind of James Tony-ish combinations go, where you just whip up a right hand to the body, left hand to the body, right hand to the head, and just keep that body in play. Make it uncomfortable for Joshua, because you're not going to win the, the physicality battle, but you can make it uncomfortable for him, both physically and tactically. So I think Joshua will be vulnerable to those uppercuts, hooks, something coming over the top towards the temple. And then Franklin, I always say with Franklin, he takes too long to let his shots go. And the thing with Josh is if you wait, Joshua will fill that space with punches. So Jermaine Franklin's got to be on the move. What, what made Ruiz good, and remember Ruiz counterpunched with Joshua too. Ruiz doesn't, didn't wait to let his shots go. As soon as he felt there'd be an opportunity, he let it go. Even if it meant he took one in the process, he kind of mitigated that while letting his shot go. And I like how he managed the risk around that. And that was what caught Joshua off because Joshua wasn't used to people punching with him. Which we don't do. Like British boxing isn't built on that. British boxing is built on this platform of you hit, I hit. 
you hit, I hit, until someone prevails. Whereas when you look at other boxing cultures, there's an idea that if he's going to let a two-punch combination go, after his first shot, I'm letting something go too. And then we'll see who's quicker. And that's where I think Franklin should be finding more joy. I think Joshua will find more joy in the traditional one, two, one, two, three, one, two, double jab, right hand, heavy hooks to kind of impose his physicality. You know, that's a Derrick James staple, just those heavy hooks with a lot of torque in the punches to the body, then to the head. All that stuff will be interesting to see whether Joshua can start bringing in right hooks into right uppercuts, left hooks into left uppercuts, and breaking somebody down. Because normally we talk about Joshua trying to starch people, but I think the best version of a Derek James fighter beats the will out of you, and then when that's done, they work out how they're going to take you out. Or the opponent just starts running and gets into survival mode. But the lesson Franklin needs to learn is, I think Usyk showed this. If you can make Anthony Joshua work for the first three rounds, he pays for it later on in the fight. So you make him work hard for the first three rounds, he'll need the next four rounds to recover. And then he'll come on strong because Joshua's still a championship-level guy. He will know how to find some strength in those later rounds. So you have to get in there straight away. Work him, work him. I always go back to that first Usyk fight. And the way Joshua tried to mirror what Usyk was doing at that pace, you thought, oh my goodness, uh, I don't think you've got the engine for this, AJ. And Franklin's got to tap into some of that. Or some of that latter work that Ruiz was doing, where Ruiz was you know, throwing those flurries and making Joshua think and work. The downside with Ruiz, I maintain this, he didn't work hard enough. It's almost like he did, in that first fight, he didn't believe that he could get Joshua out of there. And I think if he had done, it wouldn't have gone seven rounds. So, I still think Josh. I think Joshua wins because pedigree is pedigree, and you're looking at Jermaine Franklin, and you know that he's never been on this level of event before. He's never been at this stage, and you can talk all the talk you want about how tough you are. This fight week's taking stuff out of you that you won't even realize. So, in Jermaine Franklin's shoes, after that weigh-in. I wouldn't do a single interview. I wouldn't be around anybody. I'd literally go straight back to the hotel, be around my people, and then just zone out. Because emotionally, you've got to let the stuff just flow out of you. You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to be thinking about all of this stuff going into a fight, and you want to be as fresh as you can. For Joshua, this is it's just part of the course. He's got the calluses. He's got the stamina to get through this. So how do I see it? Like I said, I see the fight going Joshua's way. I just think pedigree is pedigree. If Joshua loses, then that will tell you his heart's not in it because he's tried everything. He's tried different trainers, different support team. He's tried different attitudes, approaches, all of that he's tried. And not much of it's worked. And then obviously the invariable thing will go, if Joshua wins, then what? I just don't think we'll ever see him fight Fury, man. Well, let me not say ever. I don't think it's realistic at the moment. And here's why. That everyone's waiting for the Saudi money to drop. This is what's holding up all your fights. Saudi Arabia probably saying, well, we can afford two fights a year or maybe two events. One of them's going to be the WWE and then one of them's going to be a boxing event. So if you're Saudi Arabia, do you want Fury Usyk or Fury Joshua? Because you're not going to, you're probably not going to pay for both. 
And then if Joshua says, actually, I fight Deontay Wilder, I think Saudi would rather deal with Anthony Joshua than Tyson Fury. And I think that's the problem Fury's side have. You know, this idea that... And for, this is what I heard behind the scenes. They just genuinely thought they could show up at Saudi and say, here's the undisputed fight. We want 125 million. Yeah. Something, it was something ridiculous like that. We want that much money to bring the fight here. And I think the Saudis said, uh, they wanted to say no. But what they said was, look, we can't really do it because March is the holy month of Ramadan. And I've said this in a previous episode, which takes you to the third week in April. So when's the stadium going to be built, tested and certified? It can't be done now because it's Ramadan. No one really wants to be doing that during the holy month. So I would say the realistic time to have done it would have been the summer but you're building a stadium in June, July, August when it's hot as hell. It's probably not safe. You wait for the temperature to cool, so you're looking at October. Yeah, you're looking at a long time before the Saudis can engage with a boxing event. And by that point, the landscape may have changed completely where Fury may not be the draw. The draw may be Joshua versus Wilder. And Saudi Arabia goes, right, that's the fight we want. No coincidence at all that you saw Deontay Wilder there. He's trying to position himself at the, at the funnel. Do you mean everyone's trying to eat off this? But Joshua's done that work already. So I'm not necessarily convinced that Joshua needs that Fury fight. Don't think he does. I think he knows the Wilder fight is the one that has the global appeal. If he can knock Jermaine Franklin clean out, and you just say, right, shoot out, Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. The world gets behind that fight for two reasons. One, you know it will happen. If those two guys commit to fighting, they'll fight. It's as simple as that. No obstacles to getting that fight made. And that's the one I'm looking forward to personally, if I'm being honest. So that's, that's how I see that going. But at this point in time, we just need to get past this. Let's just get through Saturday. Um, Joshua back at the O2. He said he wasn't happy to be at the O2, and I get why, because he thought he'd be a stadium fighter for the rest of his career. He never thought he would have to go back to where it started. But, look, it's still the O2. It's still a hell of a venue, and you will entertain people. Now, it's not a sellout. It was never going to be a sellout, because you lose a lot of fans when you behave the way Joshua did after the Usyk fight. You lose a lot of fans when you lose three times to little people and you're meant to be a giant. You lose a lot of fans. Add to that the cost of living crisis and the fact that you're clearly still trying to cash out on your fans. I think that's just been a bit messy, you know. And you've seen it. Everyone's got their their begging bowls. Everyone's got their sort of grift playbook going. Chisora's everywhere. Like, he's been on every IFL interview probably since the year started. Yet, no talk of a Chisora fight. Who's Chisora? Realistically, who's Derek going to fight? No one, but he's, he's out there sniffing for a payday, right? He is. Um, he had a very interesting uh, head-to-head with Eddie. And you wonder where those two are as people. You, you, you suspect they get along, but I think Eddie's like, I'm not going to bend over for you like I've done before. And yeah, I don't know where this Chisora shtick is really going because 
he's close to being a middle-aged man. I don't know if you can be a middle-aged man and still be a nutcase. It just doesn't feel right. It feels a bit childish. It feels like... Do you remember that gladiator wolf from back in the day? It feels a bit like that. Like deep down you're a nice sensible kid who's just trying to pretend to be scary and intimidating. But we've seen people put you on your backside so we know you're not that intimidating in your own sphere. And... And we've seen this all fight week, haven't we? Like, everyone is just there, sniffing around, um, having an opinion on this, having an opinion on that. And that's the camera crew for you. You know, we, we end up drowning in a lot of this pointless dialogue when the harsh reality is you've got Anthony Joshua boxing on an incredibly weak undercard, and no one has asked why the undercard is so weak. You're Anthony Joshua, you could pull anybody in. No one's asking questions, what happened to Felix Cash? Again, um, all sorts of talk being bandied about. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't near making weight. I just would not be surprised if he wasn't near making weight. And I think a lot of these guys are getting those problems that come with the scrutiny. That you know you cat are going to be there. Testing, checking. Crazy, isn't it? How when you know that there's a title fight. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know, if you cat are going to be there, how about I don't show up? But come back to the point. Since he beat Denzel Bentley, who's had the better career? Felix Cash has not fulfilled that potential. Denzel took the loss on the chin, improved, came back. And you imagine if there was rigorous drug testing, Denzel would beat Felix Cash now comfortably. And you're seeing that crisis with the Sims gym. Like, I have no idea where Ted Cheeseman is or when he'll be back. Um, hopefully he's recovered from the things he was going through last year. But like I'm saying, like, this is, this is boxing for you. Is there a worse run sport on the planet? Is there a, is there a more, a greater concentration of cowboys in any one sport? And here's the thing. This sport will be so easy to clean up. But no one ever wants it cleaned up. You can go back to the 90s, and there used to be a guy called Panos Eliadis. Yeah, it was Pan we was calling him Panos for now. And he had a promotional company called Panix. He used to promote Lennox Lewis back in the day. So Panos used to promote Lennox. And then latterly worked with Dennis Hobson. He's worked with a few people, right? Started off as an insolvency practitioner, weirdly enough, and then ended up being a boxing promoter. Before then, he was found to be engaging in negative activities. But all the stuff he was saying then... Why can't we get these big fights done? Why can't Lennox fight Evander, then Mike? Why can't we do this all in a year? Why is everything dragging out? You know, this is why fans are turning off. And he was saying stuff like this in the 2000s, in the 90s, whenever it was. He was saying this stuff. And we've just hit the same cycle again. And the reason we do that is most people that come into boxing leave within five years. Because there's no money to make. There's no value proposition. There's, there's nothing. Because the people who stay in the sport... The, the old heads who stay in, they love the fact that it's a grey area because they can make money appear and disappear. And that benefits a lot of other people. So they don't want to clean the sports up. That's why this thing's a mess. So the problems we're having now, getting Fury, Usyk, Joshua, Wilder in the ring, are the same challenges you had trying to get 
Lennox Lewis, Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, to all mix it up in the late 90s, early 2000s. And what ended up happening, we ended up seeing a lot of these fights when they were well past their sell-by date. And that's what boxing does. It drags everything out till it goes, right, let's just cash out now. And the cycle will always repeat until someone comes in to regulate the sport. And it just takes one country to impose the rules. Just as a side note, I find it really interesting that Robert Smith from the British Boxing Board of Control has now said, we don't support Eubank fighting Conor Ben in Abu Dhabi until this thing is resolved. And you imagine that's more leaning towards Conor Ben than it is Eubank Jr. And, you know, you start to see Kel Brook get into camp. So the signals are, it's one of those two really, isn't it? For, for the fight, but... That's not going to resolve itself, but we'll come back to that another time. I think this is more for a, a Joshua discussion. Because I look at it and I go, if Joshua loses, we've now got Jermaine Franklin in the mix. And much like Andy Ruiz, I don't think he's designed to cope with that. I don't think he's who we want there. We'd rather have Joshua there because he's been there before. We know what we get. He's a known quantity. Um, having Jermaine Franklin there, I think is just is a nightmare. And I wouldn't be surprised if Hearn has options on him. So, although he may have signed a three-fight deal with Dillian. But I don't know. Because they fought on the zone before, right? So if Hearn's got that, so that would win Dillian fight one. Joshua fight number two. So there may be one more fight that Hearn has with him. Which, well, who do you put him in with? Do you put him in with Usyk if he beats Joshua? I imagine that's where Hearn's head is at. But... Let's see. I, I'm more interested in this whole fight. I'm genuinely interested to see what Derek James has given Anthony Joshua. And we may not find out because it may turn out that the problems AJ has are mental. And James may have given him everything he can to be successful and Joshua just can't implement it. But I just want to see if that change is the difference. Or, as I suspect, are we going to see an eventual return to McCracken? And just back to those basic methods that got him so far. Look, if anything lands out of this fight, we going forward, I'll, I'll share that. But for now, just that's where my head is at with this. It's, it's a strange fight week. It doesn't have the, the snap, crackle and pop of old AJ fight weeks. Because the Fury thing, the fans have lost interest in. The Wilder thing, fans have lost interest in. Usyk's not viable. You've lost to him twice. You're not going to fight Joe Joyce because that's your nightmare scenario. You're not going to fight Dubois. That's your nightmare scenario. You're not going to talk about why guys have left 258 management because it's fight week and that's not the place to do it. But if these, if these camera crews were doing their job, we'd have answers to all of these. So, yeah, if anything changes, um, I'll update. I still need to do something on, on why Fury Usyk collapsed because... The recriminations are coming in thick and fast. You can see that there's no unified message on what went wrong on that one. But in the meantime, let me say thank you for listening. And as always, if you, if you enjoy the content, share publicly, privately, however you do it. Make sure you know you bring a friend on the journey because I feel this year is going to get pretty interesting. Because I, I just don't see us having another year like this next year. I think people will just go off and do something else. And you'll see numbers increase their decline because everyone's suffering. I think on that note, it's probably best to say my goodbyes and say to you guys, you guys take care.